Hello and welcome to another episode of Consumer, the European podcast of the Consumer Choice Center. As always, I'm your host, Bill Wirtz, joined this week uh, once again by your favorite co-host, Fabio Fernandez, uh, coming to you from Italy. Uh, Fabio produces a lot of our Portuguese content, uh, including the podcast Liberdade para Escolé, which I completely butchered right here. Uh, Fabio, how is everything going? Hi, Bill. Uh, everything is very good, uh, especially today talking to you, hosting again here with you the, the podcast. Hi, everybody. Well, thank you, Fabio, uh, for joining us here to co-host this episode. We are on episode 119 on June 15, 2023. We are pre-recording uh, this episode because I will be in Prague for Bitcoin Prague uh, to give you presentations and all of that and, and I won't I know already I won't be bothered to record the episode in due time uh, for the week after that so I wanted to uh, pre-record this and have two topics ready for us uh, this week uh, one of them is on climate change and uh, climate regulations in the European Union and the other one uh, because we haven't talked about it as much we've talked about AI art on one of the programs with uh, my colleague Yaroslavsky, but we haven't really talked about ChatGPT, uh, Google Bard, all the different Bing even has one now. Uh, so we'll we'll talk about that as well and get some uh, uh, get, get 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 talking about the issues uh, uh, surrounding that. But first off, let's start with uh, the Green Deal. So this is a story by Euractiv, uh, the EU's uh, Green Deal Commissioner, Franz Timmermans, still there, by the way, I'm not a big fan of him, uh, from the Netherlands. He says that there shouldn't be a pause put on the green transition. And what he's doing here is reacting to uh, French President Emmanuel Macron and actually also Belgian Prime Minister Alexander uh, the, the Croix, uh, uh, who says that um, both of them say that there should be a stop on uh, green standards under the European Green Deal and much of its legislation because we simply cannot afford it and industry has to adapt uh, to a lot of these rules before we can go forward. We are still uh, facing a recession. I think Germany just went in, had like a month uh, of recession. It's just like 0.5% uh, uh, contraction there of the economy over there in Germany. So everyone is quite on edge. And on top of that, the European Commission is facing some backlash the pesticide reduction law looks almost dead because the European People's Party is opposing it. The nature restoration law uh, is also facing pushback in the European Parliament. Uh, this is We're getting closer to, EU, to the European election. And I think this says a lot about what uh, the European election will look like and also what the next incoming commission will be like. Uh, Fabio, uh, putting a moratorium on a lot of these rules uh, seems reasonable to me. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. I think there is starting to be a little bit of pushback. And I think the reason for that is the uh, high cost of living in Europe, especially after the pandemic, a lot of things are more expensive. And the whole transition in terms of energy and in terms of the whole industry that actually is changing, like car industry, energy industry, uh, a lot of sectors are being impacted by this directive, which I think is from 2019. Uh, and some countries are starting to question uh, how... Uh, a, a, a whole disruptive situation in Europe is going to affect consumers, it's going to affect taxpayers, and it's going to affect the GDP of those countries. Uh, you mentioned too, but uh, recently also here in Italy, uh, Matteo Salvini was giving a talk and uh, especially talking about this directive and how uh, the new Green Deal is impacting Italy and how Italy accounts only for 0.7% of the world carbon's emission, while the US is 13%, which when we compare to Italy, it's, it's much more. But when you really talk about the real 
cause for carbon emissions in the world, which is China. China represents a third of the world's carbon emissions. Over 30% of carbon emissions comes from, from China. And we are talking about disrupting whole sectors, whole industries uh, that rely in Europe, especially car industries, uh, battery, uh, microchips, everything that we will need to produce and make the change. Uh, and it's not even talk about batteries and talking about uh, energy and the whole infrastructure. So, I mean, a lot of countries now are rethinking how this is going to affect them, affect their GDP, affect their way to uh, grow, to have money to invest in, in the future, um, and really seeing if those changes are going to pay off in the future. In the beginning, a lot of money was flowing from, from the European Union. Now with the war, uh, now with the high cost of living, a lot of countries are, are asking if those those changes really need to, to be done in a short time, because this is there was a very short time to be implemented. I think it's uh, 2030, and some of them 2045 or 2050. So it's a very short time to implement all those changes uh, and when you see the, the whole context and you see the countries in Europe how much they produce or they contribute to the carbon emissions um, some of the things um, some of the leaders now are thinking that they can put a little bit on hold and it seems also to dawn on some people the real political costs of the European Green Deal um, because uh, in the Netherlands the Netherlands most notably found that out um, after the they tried to implement the nitrous oxide emissions uh, uh, caps and what they focused on was agriculture and that created a big backlash which has now sort of morphed into a political crisis uh, for the Netherlands with now the farmers party uh, in a majority in uh, or the largest amount of seats I, I should rather say uh, in the uh, Dutch Senate and actually that might even determine the political future of Franz Timmermans himself because well, while he is not directly elected because he's European commissioner, he is sort of up for a re-approval there after the European elections next year. I mean, for the listeners, it's also important to note, no real legislation in the European Union will be pushed after December. So everything that's not finished by December is definitely not happening before the European elections. And then we'll have a completely new commission. And that commission will be determined by whoever wins, which is the strongest political philosophy philosophy or group in the European Parliament and Franz Timmermans even if they can keep him around in the Netherlands because you know if Rutte sticks around he might keep him uh, it's not really guaranteed that he will be in charge of environment and I think that is ultimately a good thing because Mr. Timmermans has been uh, sort of tone deaf uh, in uh, his multitude of jobs in Brussels and the real political costs of a lot of these rules um, for member states uh, are now materializing. Um, and, I, and I think that's that, that's part of it, too. And then there's the economics part of it, which you mentioned, which is sort of this transition, using the transition as sort of an economic argument. And, you know, we've had all the wrong um, uh, instincts in Europe. Eh? Emmanuel Macron now talks about the bi-European act, what it exactly means. There are uh, there are tax credits on on the one hand, but there's also talk of uh, putting tariffs on American and Chinese uh, uh, importers uh, of, of electric vehicles, which sounds so strange to me, because if climate change is genuinely, uh, like electric, if, if electrifying the mobility grid is so important, you'd want to have consumers access to cheaper EV or more uh, choices in EV uh, vehicles. I do see the argument that you know, some European manufacturers are being overtaken by Korean, Japanese, Chinese manufacturers, but that is on them. And that's not really something that the European Union will be able to solve. If Volkswagen can't make 
a groundbreaking new electric vehicle, that's not the fault of Ford or Hyundai. That's uh, that's really the fault of Volkswagen itself. And I don't really think European taxpayers should now be footing the bill for those mistakes. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, starting with Timmermans, I think that uh, I think that the number here is that a third only of the parliament stays uh, with their their current jobs. So basically, two thirds change every European election. So. That, that's a big change. So uh, I don't know if he's going to be able to keep his, his position, uh, which is good because we need someone that is uh, has more of the feet on the ground and is more realistic about the changes that we need to do in terms to achieve uh, good impact in Europe and contribute to uh, reducing the climate issues that we, we have around the world. Uh, but also that we commit to um, with consumers, with taxpayers, with the population in Europe, that we're going to uh, enable those consumers, those people to have a abundance in their life. So more food, uh, because we're talking here about uh, energy and we're talking about cars, but there's so many, as you said, there's so many things that they got wrong and they bet in the wrong things. Uh, we can start, talk about agriculture with Farm to Fork, and you are the specialist and you can talk more about that. But we can also talk about energy. We can talk about the the uh, whole energy infrastructure and how uh, nuclear, nuclear was so bad a couple of years ago. And now with the war, nuclear is good and let's foster a little bit of more nuclear. But if you had invested five, ten years ago when we were talking about that, uh, for now today we'd probably be more prepared to to go through those changes. So I, I agree with you. I think the, um, and, and also when we talk about uh, technology neutrality, which is not a reality in Europe, they are always picking sides, picking which technology to move forward, uh, be that in agriculture, be that in science, be that in uh, energy, whatever it is, they are always picking. And now this ugly war with the US and with uh, China, with uh, uh, other other uh, economical partners. And uh, the truth is that Europe doesn't have natural resources. Europe, Europe doesn't have the necessary things in here to produce the things that they want to produce in terms to to, to give this uh, big change in terms of economy, social, and whatever it is. So picking again, uh, talking about cars, uh, the, the big thing with cars is we need batteries. Batteries are not produced in Europe. We don't have the resources to produce batteries in Europe. We need to import all the everything that we need to produce them locally. Uh, we can talk about microchips with Europe now is trying to invest more in microchips. Uh, even the US doesn't have a big capability in terms of producing microchips. And those are two fundamental things when we're talking about electric vehicles. So there are so many things that it got wrong that you need to refocus. And I think a fresh uh, thinking mind in terms of how to proceed with that would be a good change. It would be good to really stop those cosmetic changes when I look at the ban on short-haul flights or just some countries talking about reducing the speed limits by 10 kilometers per hour. Uh, a friend of the show, Fergan Aziari, was on a French TV show recently and he talked about sort of the, the cost-benefit analysis on a lot of this climate action uh, where he says uh, investing... If, if you want to take a pool of money and invest it into a specific climate action and you're trying to see, like, in terms of impact, where is that money best spent, uh, it always narrows down to third countries. Sort of like um, helping India uh, move away from coal into, into electricity sources that emit less carbon dioxide emissions is a genuinely much better um, 
uh, investment than not just the enforcement, but also the repercussions of, you know, banning flights in Europe, you know, which, by the way, are, de you know, decarbonizing in a different way by reducing their fuel consumption and actually also sustainable aviation fuels. We talked to we talked about that on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, where I just think that there's a lot happening already by industry itself. And, you know, it, it narrows down to this general like deadline problem that we have in the EU. So like the, 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 the parliament says by 2040, we want X amount of reduction of whatever it is. Um, and then there's only two options, right? I mean, either you achieve that goal naturally and the industry can achieve that goal or it's incapable of achieving that goal um, of its own, in which case, then what do you do? Do you ban it? Do you tax them? I mean, that's not a solution. A lot of this is about resource use and resources are not cheap anyway. So many of the transportation companies are incentivized to reduce their resource use uh, anyway. Uh, in any case, I don't think uh, Franz Timmermans will have a political career in the same way he has right now. At least I hope so, um, because uh, because his approach has definitely uh, not been productive. And it's quite interesting how Emmanuel Macron is on the side of uh, those saying, yeah, maybe we need a bit of a break. He does say that on Farm to Fork. He does say that on the Green Deal. I wrote, uh, I think just pre-COVID, I wrote the real costs about the real costs, uh, calculating the real costs of the of the European Green Deal, and it's very expensive, uh, and and I think we can afford it now even less. Uh, but uh, but Fabio, anything else to add before we switch to the next topic here? Ah, uh, nothing. No, I think we said it all. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, then let's uh, let's switch over to. Um, Something that we're probably the one millionth podcast uh, addressing. You know, I'm, I'm quite a big podcast consumer and it's definitely not news to me to talk about this. But uh, all the chatbots are out there, all the AI chatbots. With, we're not new with this story, but uh, I think the, the use of ChatGPT is becoming increasingly mainstream. We've seen every example now on Twitter already from ChatGPT creating companies to writing your resume. Uh, it can do a lot of things, but it's also asking a lot of questions. You have your doomsday scientists that say, well, if unless we stop uh, it now, it will take over the world and there is no going back. I think with a lot of these things, I think there's already no going back. It's a bit like social media, like that's just not going away. Um, and we just have to deal with some of the ramifications it may have. Um, before, you know, like, and I want to hear your piece on this as well. Um, one of the things that fascinates me, and I heard this being talked about, about recently is how ChatGPT and others they just blatantly make up quotes and and for, for those of you at home that you know want to try this out just use one of these tools and ask it to generate a quote from a famous author about a recent phenomenon even though this, that author has already passed away so if you ask like what would um what would, I don't know, uh, uh, John Maynard Keynes say about electric vehicles? Um, and then they just make up a quote, um, which is just fascinating to me that in a time where everybody talks about, you know, the verification of news, fake news and all of that, that these tools just blatantly just invent things. It's just very strange. Have you encountered strange things like that on, on ChatGPT and others? Yes, absolutely. And I think consumers uh, are, are falling in love with the, the, this technology, especially chatbots and talking with uh, anything that is chat GPT related, because the chat GPT is actually the name of the technology. There are so many brands, uh, as you said, in the beginning of the show, there are so many brands now offering that service. Uh, but what consumers need to know is that it's a preemptive 
generative uh, platform. So which means is it generates text based in all the text that it studied before. So it's just rearranged text in all the logical formats that it studied, all the, the text that we gave it to study. And then it, 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 it kind of created an intelligence of how words precede each other. And it's just using that algorithm to populate text in a way that makes more sense based on all the other text that it already analyzed. So it's not creating uh, content the, with the same way that, that humans create. So when we talk about intelligence, it's not the, the same way that uh, users have intelligence to create things and to reason things, but it's, all, it's only trying to rearrange text in a better way to present that information. So that can be very good if you know how to use the tool. Uh, and what I mean by that is if you give them enough information and you give them sources and you ask them to rewrite, uh, if you ask them to rearrange the text, to improve the text, to correct the text, to translate the text or anything similar to that, it's going to do a very good job in, in getting an output that it's usable by the consumer, by the user. Uh, but if you're just trying to... Uh, to get answers to questions, uh, it's going to populate, so it's going to create a, a, a stream of text that it's from the text that it studied on. So it means that it's going to analyze all the text that it had in their, their, their intelligence, in their background, and it's just going to populate and spill up some text that sometimes it's true, but might be biased because it depends on what text it studied on. Uh, but it also can be bullshit. It could be just rearranged words that sounds fancy because it's the most... Uh, it's the better way to present those uh, those lines of text, but not necessarily truth, not necessarily uh, what what you're looking for in an answer. So. I think that uh, the way that we came from uh, chatbots maybe five years ago, which were just uh, yes or no answers, were binary. Uh, you needed to to code a lot of the responses to get like accurate uh, responses. I think we we are in an evolution line that it's uh, amazing to me and sometimes even uh, mind boggling because. Uh, in, if you ask like six months ago, if you look for image generators, for example, they were terrible and now they are pretty good. And that's just six months ago. And I mean, what, what can happen in a year, two, five, ten, whatever. Um, so I'm very excited about this technology, uh, but we need to, to be clear on how to use it the best way to maximize their potential and also not to, to be misled by the technology. And I think that's what consumers are still learning how to use those new platforms and technologies. And it almost feels like old school technology in a sense that we've already allowed the culture war to uh, introduce itself into those uh, chatbots uh, and uh, accusations of political bias. Uh, if if you ask ChatGPT to say something very positive about uh, former President Donald Trump, it is uh, it is uh, uh, it is struggling quite a bit. But if you ask it to say something very positive about President Joe Biden, um, that 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 it can do quite easily. On top of that, I asked Google Bard recently uh, whether it can tell me an offensive joke. It was unable to do that, and I tried to trick. Uh, the chatbot there into telling me what the joke was because apparently it has told jokes in the past that were offensive before it was reprogrammed and I was trying to extract that information but unfortunately uh, wasn't uh, able to and I think that goes back to a lot of the AI liability questions that we had um uh, we had this, I mean, the European Parliament has been on this file for the last 10 years when people started talking about, you know, what if an AI controlled 
uh, a self-driving car um, makes decisions that will kill a pedestrian, uh, sort of where's the liability? And a lot of the questions were about who programs it, right? And I think this is also true for the chatbots, like, uh, and to what extent, um, you know, with, with the whole conversation about social media, like what needs to be filtered, what information is given out, uh, newspapers face similar questions about, you know, how they filter information. Chatbots will eventually uh, get to that point as well uh, as, as usage uh, increases uh, for them too. And it becomes so immediately politicized. And I'm a bit worried about having a deep political conversation about the use of technology when it's still emerging. We, you know, usually that, that always took a few years. You know, Facebook came up, Twitter came up, and then only 10 years later, we had like a thorough conversation about, you know, where does regulation need to be? But now we're so in the infancy of this technology and having deep-rooted regulatory responses to that uh, feels, uh, you know, we're sort of missing out on the wild west of AI. And, and, and you know, I kind of want some of that. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I mean, I heard some some humors that uh, that, that actually the technology is very dangerous. Uh, you you had Elon Musk talking about that. You had the the lead in Google uh, that uh, recently also uh, left Google, but he he talked about how how dangerous the technology is. So I'm not sure uh, exactly what you're talking about, and I, I I think few people actually had access to the this very sophisticated uh, technology. We we have like a, a beta version, let's say, like a initial version of those tools that are available to the public so we don't know actually what's behind it but i think one of the biggest concerns and i think something that it's that might be leading the regulation and uh actually politicians and uh governments policymakers are going to use that a lot in the, in the next coming months and also years it's privacy and i kind of agree in terms of privacy because you want to use the, the consumer wants to use the technology the best way possible so let's say that i want to rewrite my cv uh in terms uh to do that I need to paste all my personal information. I need to uh, say my name. I need to put my my uh, all, all the work, the companies that I work for, uh, and that uh, actually can be read by actually people in Open uh, AI, the the company, or from Google or for any other company. They have access to that because they are still training their models. Uh, so one biggest concern I think is regarding privacy. Italy was one of the first countries actually to ban ChatGPT. Uh, it was not a available for several months uh, after the launch because they weren't trying to figure out this privacy rule and, and how to uh, make sure that Italians were um, secure or at least having a, a little bit of assurance that their, their privacy is not going to leak. Uh, so I think this is going to be the leading cause for regulation in AI. Uh, and, we, and I think it, this is important to protect consumers, but uh, they are going to put everything else inside this this legislation, this regulation, because politicians cannot live without uh, a little bit of overreach. They, they love overreaching and creating regulation that uh, stifles a little bit innovation. Yeah, that's. That, I mean, that's true. I mean, ultimately, it's it. it the, the question now is down to sort of like what is information sharing, and to what extent do we do information sharing? Because a lot of what uh, ChatGPT does is, is, I mean, to, I, I assume to some extent they scrape information that is publicly available and then they just feed it into sort of what the what the chatbot knows, and it sort of derives from that. Google, of course, being in, in an advantage. Um, in that sense, because uh, and I've noticed that Google Bard, for instance, is just much better at like current news information because it can use information uh, coming from the Google search engine. 
But there was this that famous case with Samsung because Samsung uh, um, employees they were using ChatGPT to uh, talk about uh, some some new product launch, and actually that information got leaked because uh, people actually had access to Whoops. confidential information from Samsung. Uh, so this is just one example of how uh, consumers' privacy may might be in that situation uh, uh, at risk. And I, and and I think yeah that that's a. It's a tough one. I mean, it's but but to be fair, it's not the first time we sort of have this conversation in the same way that people used to volunteer a lot more information when we yeah. were using Facebook, like, you know, from your birthday to who you were married to, like people have gotten really aware of this. And I mean, the people who use Facebook now, um, you know, some of them are still doing that. And I don't quite understand why. But I mean, like now on Instagram, it's just so hard to find even know what people's names are. It's just really hard to find this information. So I think people got more aware of this because there was sort of a volunteering of information, a perspective to it. I think if you enter um, very sensitive information into chat GPT, um, not victim blaming here, um, you should be aware of this. And the same way if you posted it online or you know when i see people take pictures of their passports with their boarding passes when they're traveling you know these kind of things you should be aware of these kind of things um but of course there also needs to be some you know social corporate responsibility from the companies that introduce this not least because the regulators will use this as an example in terms of what we should regulate but where are you on the doomsday scenario because i see a lot of different people agreeing with elon musk that this is genuinely also a a threat to humanity um, because uh, the development we've just seen in a couple of months uh, will be even more extravagant. You alluded to that. Um, where is this going to go? Uh, should we? Do you think we should actually be worried about this? Um, I mean, as I said, I don't have enough information about it. I, I'm just reacting to the way people reacted when they had contact with the true uh, technology. Because, as I said, we, we don't have access to, to the true technology, the, the, the most advanced technology that is out there. Uh, I, I, I mean, there's questions to be raised because this is going to for sure be the next technological revolution. Uh, this is going to change everything that we do in the next couple of years, and it's going to have a big impact on consumers' everyday lives, uh, starting for self-driving cars, which is, I think, it's the most advanced uh, AI technology that consumers have access today. Uh, people don't have any idea on how many uh, million decisions a car needs to make when it's driving, so it's very sophisticated. Uh, for, for the consumer, it's so easy, just one button and the car is uh, self-driving, but there are so many components uh, so many uh, algorithms, so many uh, codes in there that make those decisions. Uh, and as you said, some someone is writing those codes. And then if you uh, are teaching technology to think a certain way, um, you, 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 you're going to have consequences. Uh, and if you want to push more and more to technology to uh, self-learn, self-improve, so we don't have to, to give manual inputs to everything that we do, uh, we need to be a little bit concerned on how this technology is going to evolve, uh, improving itself in a way that it's uh, it's friendly for humans and the way we interact with technology. And it doesn't overpower or overcome uh, everything that we do in our daily lives. 
and I, and I think we'll probably also end up with uh, rivaling competing products here uh, because there will eventually be a China AI chatbot uh, in the same way that social media is fragmenting and uh, media outlets have, have fragmented and in the same way that blogs and forums when the internet started uh, fragmented. I think we'll get a lot of that. The politics and the culture wars will also create a situation where eventually Donald Trump will have a truth AI or one of these one of these companies. I know Elon Musk, despite all this criticism, has also filed uh, to, 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 to start a company of his own in this field. So interesting how he's playing into it uh, as well. I think there's going to be so much development. I, uh, I just hope that Europe doesn't want to be first uh, on the regulatory front here. And I, and, I, and I feel like right now the sort of the development of the technology will always outgrow where the regulators stand on this. Uh, because, uh, because I think the most transparency on what we need to know about the technology, we haven't quite gotten yet because there's also sort of the, the, the user uh, the user experience that is still lacking. You know, I'm still reading news articles where people did something with ChatGPT that I haven't hadn't even considered. And and I think you know letting that run wild uh, a bit is is not actually the worst of ideas. I'm sort of on the innovation principle uh, approach here when it comes to regulation. Anything to add here, uh, Fabio? Before we end. No, I agree with you. I think uh, just a fun fact, one of the recent approaches to, to this technology that I saw, which was very interesting, was uh, the plugins. So actually now you can have third-party companies developing things for ChatGPT and it connects with ChatGPT. So actually there's a supermarket chain in the US that now if you go to ChatGPT and say, please uh, prepare a, a meal uh, recipes and everything for the whole week, so a meal prepping for the whole week, uh, and then give me that and it builds out that that solution for you and then you can make changes and say i don't like pork i like chicken and you can make changes to the recipes uh and at the end uh it creates a link that you can click goes to the supermarket website everything that is in that list is already in your cart you can change the product if you want and you just pay and it arrives at uh, in your house so you can also a uh, meal prep for the whole week receive everything at home uh try different recipes and actually chat gpt integrated with all other partners. I think this is a, a nice way to use the technology. I think that's a very interesting way. And that's, I think, which what is the most promising about this. Wow. And then eventually there will be a, a human-made meal prep uh, uh, again, because that will be then an extra service. I recently got an ad for a, for a uh, s new Spotify rival, which advertises itself uh, by the fact that the playlists are completely made by humans, a personalized playlist made by humans. I think eventually people will pay a premium just to find a spelling error in a news article because I think spelling mistakes are going to be something of the past as well. We're already pretty good at avoiding them. Um, so uh, so interesting to see how, how that will develop. Um, I don't know if I will have the most, you know, if we had necessarily the most interesting things to say about this debate, but it's one of those things where in 10 years, I think we should replay this episode and see sort of where we stood uh, and all the things that will have happened in between. Uh, maybe the first AI war will have broken out by then and we'll be talking all about that. Fabio, in any case, uh, remember the listeners where they can hear uh, more of you on uh, Twitter and maybe also if they speak Portuguese on podcasts. 
Yes, so uh, Liberdade para Escolher is the podcast and also YouTube channel. You can check it out. We talk about consumer issues, uh, politics, and a little bit of libertarian thinking. Uh, and also my uh, Twitter is De Faria e Silva. If you speak Portuguese, you probably know how to spell that. Uh, and, and you can go uh, look for me. And it was a pleasure to talk to you today, Bill. And if you don't know how to spell it, it will be in the description of this podcast as well. Fabio Fernandes, thank you so much for joining the Consumer Podcast. You've been listening to the Consumer Podcast airing weekly on Thursday always uh, half an hour thank you so much for listening follow the Consumer Choice Center on Twitter at Consumer Choice C and I'll talk to you on Thursday you have to learn to pace yourself pressure you're just like everybody else pressure you've only